You're listening to the weekly message at Mosaic Church. For more information or to talk about your own life in Christ, email info at mosaicchurchevans.org. If you'd like to support our ministry, visit our website at mosaicchurchevans.org. Thanks for listening. And now, this week's message. So I want to tell you, we're going to talk about healing, and I'm just really, I'm really excited about where we're going for the next few weeks. I, I stole the title of this series from John Tyson, and I'm borrowing a lot of thoughts from Francis McNutt, an Episcopal priest who, who first taught me from a distance everything I know about healing prayer. In a little book that he wrote back in 1981 called The Prayer That Heals, he asked some questions that helped me understand why it took me so long to feel comfortable with things like supernatural ministry and healing prayer. So I'm going to ask you the questions that he asks in this book, and you can just indicate by raising your hand. How many of you uh, have a memory of your father praying over you or with you in words that are, were his own, not, not pre-written prayers? How many of you can say... Look at that. That's awesome. That's awesome. Okay, you're, you're breaking the curve there. That's really great. How many of you have a memory of your mother praying over you in words that were not her own? I mean, that her, her own, just her own. Okay, great. All right. And this is a little more vulnerable, but how many of you have an experience of a spouse praying with you or over you in words that are their own? Yeah, you guys are totally breaking the curve here. This is awesome. Um, is that how you say that, people? Is that you like? Is that breaking the curve? Is that it? Is that right? Sure. Sure. Okay. Thanks. Most, you're so helpful. Um, so McNutt said that over all his years, he he traveled a lot in the 80s and the 90s and and all over the country teaching healing prayer. Probably a hundred thousand people he estimates that he spoke to. And over all those years, he said basically. His estimate is about 3% of Americans have a memory of their father praying over them or with them in their own words. 3%, which means 97% of people don't have a dad, uh, that memory of a dad praying over them or with them. About 20% of them could say their mother prayed with them in their, in their own words. That's still one out of five people, which means four out of five people did not have um, a, a mom who was praying over them. And, and, um, and almost no one prayed with their spouse except for meals. Wow. And McNutt's point is not to shame us for the lack of prayer in our families, but to help us understand why we practice our religion as we do. If my father never felt close enough to God or confident enough in his faith to pray out loud among his own family, then my faith will likely be private and tentative too. If the only prayers I heard at home were formal prayers at meals, my relationship with God will likely be formal and less intimate. And maybe the biggest lesson uh, is that if I've, if I've never learned to pray informally for anything with the people I love most, then I may never see the hand of God move in miraculous ways. Not because God doesn't do it, but because I never trusted him enough to pray. Now, I'll say this again later just to make sure that it sinks in with you, but I want you to hear, I'm, I don't believe that, that God wants to heal every single person who get, or, or that God will, that God can. Wait a minute, I don't know how to say that right. God doesn't heal every time we lay hands on someone and pray for them. That just doesn't happen. That's a, that's a fact. 
I'm not, I'm not trying to say that it should happen or that, that, that if, if we would just lay hands, everybody will get healed. That's not what I'm saying. I don't even think it happens most of the time. What I'm saying is that 100% of the time that you don't pray for somebody to get healed, you will not be part of that experience. And let me say that I think, and you've just proven it, that I think we as a church have a pretty good culture of prayer. People who come here from the real world tell me that they can feel the life of prayer we have here, which means we have such a great opportunity to develop a culture of healing prayer because we already have a culture of prayer. So let's talk about what that can look like for us, and we can start with the stuff Jesus did. What stuff did Jesus do? This was his mission statement. Jesus stood up in, in, in worship one day, and he quoted from Isaiah 61, and I want you to say this together with me. Ready? Go. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That was the mission of Jesus. And in the reading of Isaiah's prophetic word, Jesus became empowered for the mission. And so he got up from that place and he began to do what he'd seen others, I mean, sorry, to do, to do what he was told to do by the Father. And so Matthew 9, 35 says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. That's the stuff Jesus did. So much of the story of Jesus' life is taking it, taken up with this work. And the, and the stories we read in the Bible are just a representation of all Jesus did while he walked the earth. But even so, I want you to listen to this. I want you to absorb this. He healed. Listen. First, he healed rich people and famous people and people with power. He healed the son of a royal official who was close to death, and he cured a centurion's son who was racked with paralyzing pain. So he touched some very public lives, but most of the time, it was just ordinary people, poor people, and and regular people and people whose names nobody even knew. I want to name men from the poor people and the regular people in the room. He healed people who believed in God. He healed Peter's mother-in-law of a fever. He was always getting in trouble for healing people on the Sabbath, sometimes right there in the synagogue. He, healed, he once healed a man or delivered a man in a synagogue who had an impure spirit. And, and he healed a woman in a synagogue who had been bent over for 18 years, crippled by an evil spirit is how the story describes her. Yeah, she was among believers for 18 years and somehow never got healed. Just her story alone ought to motivate us so that never happens again. So Jesus healed people who believed in God and he healed people who didn't. He healed one guy who was paralyzed because someone else believed it could happen. He healed, there was this beautiful story of Jesus healing a man's son who suffered from some kind of demon possession that caused seizures. And that man wanted to believe, but he begged Jesus to help his unbelief. And there was a Greek woman, not Jewish, who came to him because her daughter had an impure spirit. He healed that girl too. He healed a lot of people who were dealing with demons at least 25 stories, but many more healings than that. Matthew says, people brought Jesus many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were ill. 
He, he delivered a demonized man who was living in a graveyard, ostracized because of his crazy, sometimes chained up, totally dehumanized. He healed a demon out of a boy after his daddy begged Jesus for help. Sometimes he would heal someone and, and no one knew about it. And other times he'd heal very publicly, whole crowds of people. He healed 10 lepers at once. And then another night, he went on a jag and healed many who were sick. Mark tells us he healed many who touched him from diseases and, and impure spirits. And, and Matt, in fact, Mark says that Jesus healed everyone who touched him. That day, he ransacked the temple. That's the story we know, right? But that same day, Jesus healed blind people and lame people. He seemed to have a thing for people whose senses were impaired. There's a lot of stories of people who couldn't see or speak being healed by Jesus. He healed a man who was blind and mute. He healed another man who was deaf and mute. He healed a man whose blindness was so stubborn that it took two tries from Jesus. I love that story. I've been kind of, there's something about it that moves me. So we're going to come back to it and unpack that story in a couple of weeks when we talk about emotional healing. I've been living out of it and praying over it for a couple of weeks now. Jesus healed a man whose blindness was so much a part of him that people knew him as blind Bartimaeus. And one time he healed a man who was born blind by spitting in his eyes, which ends up being the most rich sacramental healing. I love that story. And right after that, according to John, he healed another blind man, the one whose story became a line from the most sung song of all time. I once was blind. Yeah. And he healed people who had weird stuff going on that totally disabled them, people with leprosy and someone whose hand was withered and, and a man whose body was swollen and a woman with a chronic blood disease and a man who had been laying by a pool, unable to walk for years, just waiting for somebody to come by and notice him and diagnose the problem. It's like my mom used to say, Jesus had a bad case of the can't help it." He even healed the ear of the high priest's servant while he was being arrested when one of his people cut it off. Put that ear back on. Nobody loses an ear today. <laughs> he, raised, he raised a widow's son from the dead. Another time he raised a man's daughter from the dead. Another time he raised his friend Lazarus from the dead. And another time Jesus Lord of the universe, master over the natural world, victor over the darkness, raised himself from the dead. Jesus raised himself from the dead. Yes. And that miracle, this is clinking, so I've got to move it. Um, that miracle, that healing is why he is now able, listen, is why he is now able to share his power with anyone who wants to take up this healing work. He won that authority, and now he shares it. He first gave his authority to heal to the 12 who we call disciples. And then when those people got the hang of it, Jesus anointed 72 others. So think of them like just the regular people. These weren't the, the apostles. These are just regular people. He anointed them, appointed them, and sent them into towns and villages. He told them, heal the sick who are there and tell them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. 
That was before he was raised from the dead, taking back all spiritual power and authority that had been stolen at the fall. After his resurrection, he shared that mission from Luke chapter 4, which we just read together. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. After that, that that kind of power he shared with everyone who believes. And not just some people get the power. Peter tells us in Acts chapter 2, all the people. And in Acts, we watch the beginning of it. The disciples are doing the Jesus stuff. They're healing people with the word, seeing miracles everywhere they go. Sometimes just their shadow because they're so full of it in a good way. They learn how to look people in the eye and cultivate compassion for them. It isn't an arrogant, watch what I can do kind of ministry they have or a show of blind power. No, it's more like a revelation, like, oh, wait, God isn't going behind me trying to fix everything I've broken. No, actually, God wants to go in front of me and use me to fix a broken world. Do you see the difference? This is God's way of doing that. God showed us what it looks like while Jesus walked the earth because that's how God wants to do it. <laughs> God wants to empower you and me to do the Jesus stuff. And I don't know, friends, I'll say it again, I don't know why God refuses to heal the world without us and why he doesn't do it all the time, but I know at least this, God wants our prayers and our laying on of hands, maybe even needs them, or at least has chosen to need them to do his work of making a broken world whole because this is one way and maybe the best way that God can teach us how to love people the way Jesus loved people, Amen. loves people. To see them, you know, see them. You know how the credit, when the credits run at the end of a movie, there, there's, there's those bit parts with names like man who talks too much or obnoxious street vendor. And there's, and there's a person's name next to it who played that part. And somewhere in the world, there's a family gathered around a screen watching that movie to see that bit part. And when that person's name scrolls up on the screen at the end, they all cheer because their person played a role in that film. You know what I'm talking about? Well, all those people we just named who were healed by Jesus, those were actual people with families and stories. The guy with an evil spirit had a grandmother who made sure he ate every meal. And, and a child with a disease had a mother who was desperate for her. And that blind guy had a family and that lame man had friends. And their stories proved not just the story of Jesus, not just the, the power of Jesus, but the heart of God. He loves people, and he wants to teach us how to love people. And Jesus seems to show us that this loving is not a natural thing, but a lesson in the supernatural. The only way I can love you is by the power of Jesus. 
Francis McNutt says, no matter how weak you may feel as a Christian, no matter how lacking in the ability to create a beautiful prayer, it makes no difference. God hears, and it's not just that prayers are answered, it's also that I seldom love people so deeply in a real non-possessive way as when I pray for them and see them change right before my eyes. And I seldom experience the love others have for me as much as when I break down, confess my own weakness, and admit of my friends that I need their prayers. In the kingdom of God, no one is forgotten. And everyone deserves to be loved like Jesus loves them, which is with a desire to see them made whole. Let me say that again. Everyone deserves to be loved the way Jesus loves them, which is with a desire to see them made whole. John Wesley called it practical divinity. It's the art of simply doing all the good you can in all the ways you can for all the people you can for as long as you can. Doing Jesus stuff the way Jesus did it. So what I hope you hear in all of this is that, that, Jesus, that what Jesus did, the Jesus stuff, is what Christianity is all about. It's about helping people become whole, believing that Jesus is still doing today what he was doing when he walked the earth, healing people and loving them toward holiness. Do you believe that Jesus is still doing today what he did then? Christianity without an emphasis on healing and miracles is faith without substance or compassion. Amen. Which James would say is no faith at all. So we've got, we've got to start on why Jesus did the stuff he, he did. But let's just take that a little further. Why did Jesus do the stuff? I want you to look at Luke chapter 7. We're going to look at three scenes in Luke chapter 7 best way to engage the message is with your Bible and something to write with. And we're going to start in verse 1. When Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. There, a centurion's servant, with whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to ask him to come to, to heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him. This man deserves to have you do this. I love that. <laughs> this man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself for I do not deserve. I mean, the centurion's actually saying, I don't think you're, I don't listen to them. I did not deserve to have you come under my roof. That's why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word and my servant will be healed. I want you to underline that line in all of verse 8. Say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one go and he goes and that one come and he comes. I say to my servant do this and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him and turning to the crowd following him. He said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. And then the man, men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. So this scene teaches me that Jesus did the stuff to expose and cultivate faith in the authority of Jesus. Do you hear me? 
Jesus did the Jesus stuff to expose and cultivate faith in his own authority. So faith is, first of all, about trusting Jesus has authority from God to do what he does. This was God-given power and authority over the darkness. Jesus was not under any illusion that miracles and healings would win everyone over. He said as much. He said, there'd be some people who wouldn't believe no matter what you did in front of them, no matter what they witnessed. But in most of Jesus' healing stories, even the people who didn't like it couldn't deny what they saw. So healing stories expose and cultivate faith in the authority of Jesus to heal. Look at verse 11. Soon afterward, Jesus went into a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, the, the dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And, at a, and a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, don't cry. In other words, don't mourn. You got no reason to be crying right now, which is different from don't cry or I'll give you a reason to cry. That's not what he's saying. <laughs> he is saying, he's saying, this isn't what you think. And then he went up and he touched the bier where they were carrying him, that they were carrying him on, and the bearers stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began, would you like to, wouldn't you have liked to have been in that crowd right then? <laughs> ah, I bet there were some changes of pants in that crowd right there. <laughs> the dead man sat up and began to talk and Jesus gave him back to his mother and they were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said, and I want you to underline this line. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. So maybe more than cultivating faith, Jesus healed because this is the character of God, that God wants to come and care for his people. Jesus did Jesus stuff because God has come to help his people. He did it as a witness to the character of God who loves people. He healed because he was, he was the inbreaking kingdom of God. Jürgen Moltmann says, after the proclamation of the gospel, the healing of the sick is Jesus' most important testimony to the dawning of the kingdom of God. Yeah, so, so there's authority and there's character. And then let's keep reading. Look at Luke chapter 7. Verses, verse 18, John's disciples, this is John the Baptist, told him about all these things. Calling two of them, he sent them to the Lord to ask, are you the one to come or should we expect someone else? Like, are you the one? When the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to ask you, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? And at that very time, there was Jesus curing many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits, and, and he gave sight to many who were blind. And so he replied to the messengers, you go back and report to John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. So on the runway leading up to this scene, a widow's son is resurrected, the centurion's servant is healed, and after this scene, we'll see a sinful woman forgiven. And these stories and all the other ones we've already talked about, 
that's what got back to John and caused him to wonder if this might be the one. What John asked teaches me that for someone who had eyes to see it, Jesus was recognizable by the stuff. Which makes me wonder, if someone were to watch my life, I mean, just turn the volume off of it, which some of you might want to do in my life more often. But if someone were to just turn the volume off and watch what I do from a distance, would they have enough evidence to come and say, I think you follow Jesus? Are you, are you the real deal or should we keep looking? Go back and report to John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the good news is proclaimed to the poor, and blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. I love that line. Jesus gets us. He gets that being faithful is going to offend someone, which is why I so often say, don't hold back because you're afraid they might think you're crazy because guess what? They might already do. Jesus' stuff will offend the person who doesn't understand, who feels threatened, whose unkindness is exposed, who is uncomfortable with truth, who gets nervous around passion. Jesus' stuff will offend those who get nervous around passion. But listen, I have a feeling it is that spirit of offense that actually keeps us from bearing good fruit, either because we're the offended ones or because we are intimidated by the offended ones. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. So why did Jesus do the Jesus stuff? He did it to prove he had authority from God to talk about the kingdom. He did it to show God's character to us. And Jesus did the Jesus stuff to prove who he is. He did it because, because fruitfulness exposes Jesus unjealously, unswervingly, peacefully there, unafraid of what is broken in me that so desperately needs his healing touch. It is Jesus who teaches me to be a friend to the people around me who are broken just like I am. So no one is left without hope. That's why we do the Jesus stuff too. There's something so powerful about having faith in God's authority to heal, about channeling his character. And there's something even more powerful about having faith in God's authority to heal through me. Jesus told us it could happen. He said, Mark 16, these signs will accompany those who believe in my name. They will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. When they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. It is so much a part of God's good news through Jesus Christ. It is such good news that we, listen to me, isn't it such good news that we are not left without hope in this life? God wants to use us. Listen, I can tell you, having crossed the 60 threshold now, 
There is nothing more frustrating than having a doctor say, eh, this is what happens when you get old. <laughs> Let me get an amen from amen. the... And I'm saying to you, yeah, outwardly we're wasting away, inwardly we're being renewed, all that stuff, Paul, I get it. But you know what? There are also things Jesus wants to heal. So how do we do the Jesus stuff? Well, here's the whole secret. The whole secret. We do it by doing it. Like getting up on a bicycle. There's no way to get comfortable with and more aware of how God works than to jump in and get started. You don't have to be gifted in some special way. You don't have to have a degree. You don't even have to have a passion for it, for that matter. Just do it. And yes, it will be messy. That, that part never really goes away. It feels messy, but that's just how it is. And that's okay. Let me give you some starting places. Today, you can start here. Ask God to give you a simple confidence in Him and a love for people. That's really all you need. Those, that's the equation. A simple confidence in Him plus a love for people equals a healing opportunity. Amen. It's really an ask for the authority of Jesus and the character of God to flow through you. Do you believe Jesus can heal people through prayer? Do you? Yes. And if so, do you believe He can heal people through your prayers? Do you? Do you believe Jesus has power to change things? Do you? Never mind whether he actually does or if it's ever happened. Do you believe it's possible? Is your internal emphasis on he never does or he can? Ask God to give you simple confidence and love for people and then just pay attention. Iris Murdoch talks about having a just and loving gaze. Isn't that beautiful? Just, I'm training myself to have a just and loving gaze on the world. Rooting out injustice, looking for people, looking at people with compassion and love. Training yourself to look at people and really see them, to pay attention to what God is doing in other lives. The trick is in learning how to be other-focused so we're not projecting our own stuff on other people. You don't really know what you think you know about somebody else. I, I can tell you that from personal experience. You don't really know what you think you know. So don't project your own stuff on other people, but really pay attention to what God is doing in the lives around us. And then when something shows up that looks like something Jesus cares about, pray. Or as McNutt, McNutt says it, speak to Jesus and ask him to heal. That's all prayer is. That's all healing prayer is. Just speak to Jesus and ask him to heal. That's it. That's all healing prayer is. Speak to Jesus and ask him to heal what is broken. And as you do, rest your hands on those you pray for. I think most of that don't... There's been a kind of a sensitivity, I'd say, in the last dozen or so years about laying hands on people. Oh, we don't want to lay hands on people. I think the insurance companies actually made that decision for you. Here's what I want to say to you. I want to say to you, get whole and healthy and then lay hands on people in ways that are whole, healthy, and non-threatening. Francis McNutt says, 
It's all so remarkably simple that it's hard to understand why more Christians have not been doing it. Basically, all it involves is having compassion and love for people, believing that God, that Jesus has far more concern than you do, as well as the power to do something about it, speaking to Jesus and asking him to heal, and resting your hands upon the sick. You have nothing to lose but pride. And a whole new world will open up for you in which you will see God's compassion at work. All of it. Chris, if you'll come. All of this healing possibility is unlocked for us by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. On the night he gave himself up for us, I'm going to take this and leave the rest with you. Jesus took bread, and he broke it. He gave thanks to his Father for it, and he said, This is my body. It's broken for you that you might have life. It's often as you eat from this loaf, remember me. After supper, he took the cup and he gave thanks to his father for it. And he gave it to his friends and he said, drink from this, all of you. This is the cup of the new covenant. My blood poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. And so, Lord God, we give you thanks for this incredible gift. Your body broken for us. Your blood poured out that we might have life. Thank you, God. And thank you for the mystery of it for the things we can't answer or explain, and for the mystery of your life, death, and resurrection. And we proclaim it with all the saints that Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. Pour out your Holy Spirit over these gifts and make them be for us the very body and blood of Christ that we might be for a broken and hurting and lost world the very body of Christ clinging to the authority unleashed by your broken body. Make us truly the body of Christ in this world. Willing to do what you did. Make us one with each other, one with your purposes to restore the world. Jesus, one with your Holy Spirit until all your people are restored and we can feast together at that heavenly banquet table. All honor and glory is yours, almighty God, your Holy Spirit and your holy church. All God's people said, amen. Thanks for taking the time to listen to our message. If you live in the area and are looking for a church home, we'd love to see you. Visit us or check out our website at mosaicchurchevans.org for more information. May God bless your day.